going to invite you at this, uh, at this time to pull out the insert that you're going to find inside of the bulletin. On one side of it is the MPG, that is uh, the exercise where we take the, the text that we're looking at this morning and there's scripture to memorize, there's a prayer to pray, and, and a way to use this text in a way that, that deepens us as a disciple. That's a glorified section. Uh, a little bit more on that later in the message. On the other side of it, you'll find uh, the title of the sermon, Drying Our Tears. Uh, there are some fill-in-the-blanks in the main text that Rico just read for us. It's a way for you to take some notes as, um, as we go through that text this morning. If we have never met, um, we're glad that you're here today. My name is Mark. I'm one of the ministers on staff here at MacArthur Park. And I would invite you uh, at the end of the assembly, uh, right through these doors into the main lobby, or what we call the family room, is a green wall off to the right. It says, welcome, we're glad you're here. And you'll find me there after our time together this morning. I'd love for you to come by and introduce yourself and have a moment to chat or two. If if you're a member and you brought a visitor, please bring them by so we can can meet before you leave and and head off to lunch today. We'd really love to, to, to make connection with you. Now, as you know, this, this last Sunday uh, was Easter, and we began a series of messages on the resurrection of Jesus. And I think that the, the resurrection of Jesus is the most important event that has ever taken place in the history of the world. And we're going to be talking about that for the next couple of weeks. But the, the theme statement for this message is this. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It is the most important thing that has ever happened. And one of the reasons it is important is because the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Can you say that with me with your outdoor voices? The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Now, we're all human. We live in a fallen world and we're all fallen human beings. And you know as well as I do, especially the older we get, we often forget things that are really, really important. And that's one of the reasons why we're called together to come together and worship God each week. It's an opportunity for us to be reminded of some things that are incredibly important, that are incredibly pertinent to not just living, but living successfully and living in joy and living in, in what we would, we would say is, is a blessedness or, or a joy or a peace that passes understanding. And w- one of these things that we do each week when we come together is to be reminded of something that if we weren't reminded on a regular basis, we, it would probably, with the busyness of the day and how fast life comes at you and how fast uh, uh, events transpire and the amount of information, one of the things that we need to think about every day, but we're called together each week to think about corporately is the resurrection of Jesus. That's what Brian was talking about during his communion devotional. That's what we have been singing about. That's what we were celebrating last week in terms of, you know, this event on that day last week. The whole world seemed to tip its hat in the direction of Jesus of Nazareth and, and, and think about the resurrection. What we want to do as disciples of Jesus is to develop what we started calling last week, we'll continue calling it this week, the resurrection mindset. Now, let me illustrate what that's all about. Up here on the screen is a box with a bunch of E's in it. There are precisely 
229 E's in that box. There's also three F's. Do you see them? Can you see them? They are right here. There are three of them. The, the point of this exercise is this. We see what our eyes have been opened to see. You know, if you were just passing by, if you were in the business of the day, you weren't concentrating on that box, you probably would have never figured that there was anything but E's in the box until you were shown that there were some F's there, and now all of a sudden you can't help but see those F's. You have this F mindset. It's the same thing that's true with the resurrection. Something that you've heard me say over the years is that we live in a time, and we live in a culture right now, where it's not enough to say that something is true. It has to be true, and it has to make a difference. It has to make um, a positive difference in somebody's life to be embraced. Something might be true, but if it's not good, if it's not beneficial, why bother with it? If it's considered to be toxic or it's going to lead down a bad road, why bother with it? Now, one of the things that I believe as a historical fact is that Jesus... There was this fellow by the name of Jesus who lived for 33 years, and during the last three years of his life, on numerous occasions, he made a prediction that his enemies were going to betray him into the hands of his other enemies. And not only would he be betrayed, but those enemies on both sides of that coin would work it out in such a way that here he is, the kindest man, the gentlest man, the best human who ever lived, those enemies would be able to conspire together and contrive a way in which he, the greatest human, the nicest human, the, the, the most beautiful human who ever lived, would be executed in the most brutal way. He would be crucified on a cross. And not only that, he would, not only would he die on that cross, but he predicted that he would be buried, and he would be buried for how many days? Three days, and then on the third day, he would resurrect. That is a fact that took place in history. I also believe that because that happened, that only a risen Jesus can engage our deepest needs, can fulfill the deepest needs of our heart and our soul. To put it this way, a dead Jesus does nothing for you. But a living Jesus does everything for you. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. And beginning today and going for another two weeks, we're going to be looking at three encounters at the end of, of the Gospels in which the resurrected Jesus encounters his disciples. Next week, we're going to be looking at uh, the resurrected Jesus and how he encounters Peter's shame and our shame and guilt even to this day. Uh, after that, we're going to look at Thomas, uh, Thomas's doubts. But this morning, we're going to look at grief, Mary's grief. And we're going to see how the resurrected Jesus encountered Mary's grief and, and changed her. And we're going to see three things. The first is we're going to see the anguish of loss. Then we're going to see the reality of the resurrection. And then the final thing we'll look at this morning is how grief is turned to joy. So grief is a word that we're all familiar with, and most of us, if not all of us, have experienced in one form or another. Grief, simply put, is this. 
Grief is the anguish of loss. Now, you and I both know that there are different levels of loss, and because of that, there are different levels of pain. And there are some losses in this life that are absolutely profound and absolutely uh, you know, life-changing. The, the loss of a person that you love can be a loss that's so painful that it takes your breath away. And if you've been around Mac um, for you know, any number of, of years, you know, the years that I've been here, one of the things that you have heard me say when it comes to grief, when it comes to loss, if you're, you're at a funeral that I might be speaking at, one of the things that you will hear me say is this, is that grief is not about where they are, it's about where they are not. Grief is not about where they are, but where they are not. One of the emotional flags flapping in the breeze of pain and reminding us that things are not the way they are supposed to be is the grief over that which is not the way it's supposed to be. We know in the deepest, darkest, not, well, I shouldn't say the darkest, but the deepest parts of our own being, in, the, in those deepest niches and corners of our heart and our soul, that human beings are not supposed to die. And that was, you know, death was not a part of the original creation of God. Death only came in as an alien and an intruder after sin entered into the world when we decided that we would not trust God's word and ate of that forbidden fruit. And ever since then, we have had to struggle with, with the, the grief that comes from the loss that is not the way it's supposed to be. In John chapter 20, it opens with Mary Magdalene, who's gone to the tomb early on Sunday morning, to the tomb of Jesus. And she notices, as was the custom of the day, they would have these gigantic round stones that they would roll in front of the entrance into these tombs where bodies were laid. And when she gets to the tomb that morning, she realizes that, you know, this is unexpected. The tomb has been rolled back. And she runs to Peter. She runs to the other disciples, claiming that the body of Jesus has been taken and she doesn't know where it is. They've taken the Lord's body, and I don't know where they have put him. And Peter and John, when they hear this, they can't believe what they're hearing. They go running back to the tomb, and they find it empty tomb. The, the grave clothing of Jesus is there, but there's no Jesus. And they go back to where they are staying, but Mary doesn't leave the tomb. Mary stays there, at the tomb, and we read in verse 11 that she stood outside the tomb and she was what? And as she what? Wept. Crying and weeping, weeping and crying. Now, our English translations have brightened that up a little bit. The word uh, in the original language that we translate as wept literally means to wail. W-A-I-L to wail. When you wail, it's not garden variety, vanilla flavored grief or pain. This is the soul rocking kind of pain. This is the kind of, of weeping and crying and experience of pain where you're not sure you're ever going to be the same ever again. And the picture that John is painting for us in John 20, is of a woman who is wailing and beside herself in grief. 
Uh, some years ago, I was introduced to this book by Nicholas Westerhoff, a, a Christian a professor um, on the was he's deceased now, who who wrote a book entitled "Lament for a Son," which were his reflections as a disciple of Jesus, his reflections as he processed the grief of his son who had died in a, a mountain climbing accident in his early twenties. And it is, it, is, it is a hard book to read because it is so poignant and so visceral as you read it. And there are a couple of statements that Westerhoff makes in this book that I think helps transport us, at least gets us close to what it means to, to, to suffer this kind of profound grief. On one of the pages he writes, The pain of the no more outweighs the gratitude of the once was. The pain of the no more outweighs the gratitude of the once was. A few pages later he writes, All we can do is remember. There will be no, there will be no new experiences. Nothing new will happen between us. Grief. On that same page, he writes, Sorrow is no longer the islands. It has become the sea. There was a, another uh, statement that was made by a different author that in writing about her grief, she said, um, I felt like I had died too, except that they had forgotten to bury me. And Jesus... Jesus had been everything to Mary. Everything to that woman. He had saved her from seven demons that had possessed her. She was out of her mind, her life out of control. She had been marginalized. And Jesus had put her back in her right mind and brought her back into community. And introduced to her a love she had never known. Jesus was everything to her. She had committed herself to his ministry. You may not know this, but Mary is mentioned 14 times more than any other woman in the Gospels. Jesus had been everything to Mary. She was there when Jesus died on the cross. The one that had brought her healing. The one that had put her back in her right mind and had given her her life back. She watched get beaten to a pulp, beaten into the ground and nailed to a cross. And she was there when Jesus died on that cross when all of the other disciples except John had fled. Now Mary is going to that tomb on the first day of the week to show love, to show a profound love, to show a deep respect by anointing the body of Jesus with spices. And she discovers that Jesus has been taken from her not once, but now twice. And she is out of her mind, and who can blame her? A grief, friends, is, is real. If Jesus is dead, then he is gone, gone. 
And there are a couple of angels who ask her, why are you crying? She says, he's gone. And it's here, in this moment, in her searing pain, in her her deep grief, that she encounters the, the reality of the resurrection. There is someone else that is there at that tomb. It's not just the angels. It's not just Mary. There's another one who is there. Jesus is there too. But she's so doubled over in her pain that she doesn't recognize Him. And Jesus says in in verse 15, He says, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? She's so overcome with grief that she doesn't, she thinks He's the gardener. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, I mean, she is looking for the one who's speaking to her, but she thinks the one she's speaking to is the one who literally took him away. She is profoundly grieving. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus says to her, Maryam. Miriam. You know, at the beginning of that exchange, he calls her woman, which was the, the cultural norm. And he asks, why, why are you crying? And she doesn't recognize him through her pain. She's doubled over. She's crying her eyes out. In fact, she's not even sure this person talking to her is not the one who might have taken the body of Jesus away. And when you read this in the original language, Jesus is calling her by her name in Aramaic. He says, Miriam. Miriam. The way she had heard it probably hundreds of times. He's saying her name the way someone would speak to a daughter. And it's in that moment of gentleness and tenderness and compassion that she recognizes Him. Jesus meets Mary's grief with His resurrection. Jesus meets Mary's grief with His resurrection. Jesus is not dead. He is resurrected. There's a reason why Jesus is not in the tomb. The one that she loved, the one that she followed, the one that she gave her life to, you know, her Lord, the one that had restored her to the world, the one that had restored her life to her, the one that she had had followed, the one that she loved, is not dead and in the tomb. He has been resurrected and he will never die again. And when she sees him, her grief turns to joy. In verse 16, she says, Rabboni, or Rabboni, which means my teacher. My teacher. And the first thing she does is embrace him in her joy. But he tells her, you know, don't don't hold on to me, but go to the disciples. Literally, he says, Mariam, you go to my brothers and you tell them that I am going to to my God and your God, to my Father and your Father. 
The, the resurrection of Jesus does not eliminate the grief, but it changes it. Joy is not the absence of grief. Joy can exist even in the moments of grief. And there are two things happening here, I think. First, Mary realizes that Jesus is alive. That that's a fact. That it's not something philosophical. It's not something idealistic. It's not something clichéic. That death has been overcome in this one. And he's standing right here in front of him, in front of her. I mean, she saw him die with her own eyes. She knew exactly where he was buried. And that was the sad fact of her life for three days. And then he was alive. And he would never die again. And death was not going to be the defining moment of Jesus. Death was not the defining moment of Jesus' life and would not have to be the defining moment of anyone else's life either. Life is going to triumph in Christ over death. Amen? And the second thing that's happening here not only does she see the one that she loves alive, but Mary also sees her own future. Mary sees her own future. You know, I, I've stood in front of a lot of grieving people through the years, and in nearly every funeral that I have ever spoken at, I've read these words from Jesus. He said them, to a grieving family of one of his closest friends, a fellow by the name of Lazarus, who lived in a town called Bethany, up on kind of the other side of the Mount of Olives, two sisters, Mary and Martha. And in John 11, he says this, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then a question. Do you believe this? Mary sees her own future. And Jesus is teaching us to have this resurrection mindset. That when we experience grief, that as human beings who love profoundly and love deeply, that there is something very right and normal in, in, in weeping. There's something, there is something right in recognizing that this is not the way that the world was intended, that creation is supposed to be. Not the way that God has planned it, but this is what God is doing to get it back to that place. Jesus teaches us to know that death is not the defining moment of Jesus' life. And for those who are his disciples, who follow him, who have put their trust in him, who have repented and are moving towards God, who have had their sins washed away in baptism, for those who have had the Holy Spirit given to them as a, as, as a gift, that not only is the resurrection the reality of Jesus, but it is our reality as well. 
we too live in the resurrection that we will experience fully and completely the second judgment. It is not the end. That death is a momentary separation, it is not permanent for those who follow Jesus of Nazareth. We remember this truth, brothers and sisters. And that truth is this. Because He lives, we live. Will you say that with me? Because He lives, we live. In fact, I want you to put your name in the we section or the we place and let's say it again. Because He lives, Mark lives. Uh, This week in the MPG, if you'll pull that out, you'll notice at the very bottom there are three questions. I'm going to ask you to do something this week. You, You know, it's so important that we wrap our mind as much as we humanly can around the resurrection and that it not be something that we we think about just once a week, that it's not something that we think about when we find ourselves in front of a grave but it began to be the way that we, we look at all of life, that the resurrection is not something that you look at, but it's something that you look through. And what I would like for you to do this week is take those three questions and, and, and to meet with your friend group. It can be two or three, it can be four or five, it can be one, but meet with a friend or a friend group this week and spend some time together discussing and conversing and going over and answering and contemplating and reflecting the meaning of the resurrection because, brothers and sisters, Jesus wants us to have a resurrection mindset, to know that death does not define us, neither does our sin, but His grace and His love and the life that He came that we might have abundant. That is what defines our life. The fact that we are the children of God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is writing to a church in Corinth. And he says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile. Resurrection mindset. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But finish it with me. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Hallelujah. Let's stand and sing.